Hello, everybody, and indeed, welcome to another edition of Who's Your Hometown Heroes. I am Tony Val, your host and navigator, and in this episode, I had a chance to visit with Chip Knighty. Chip Knighty is one of the local leaders and brightest minds on the topic of leadership. Chip founded his consulting firm, Kairos, I believe in 2006. I first met Chip at one of Jerry Knope's Affinitate's luncheons. And soon after that, got to uh, spend uh, time with him over coffee, as I believe we discussed in this interview. And Chip's just one of those bright guys. He's so fun to talk to. For me, it's exhilarating to converse with such a bright person because it keeps me on my toes. I think that will likely come through in this interview. I'm mostly just trying to keep up with Chip. Before we go to that interview, of course, I must thank our sponsor, Prometheus Consulting. If your organization is just not quite happy with your IT support, if your computers are slowing down, if you're worried about security, if your staff are not getting the care and attention they deserve, call Prometheus today at 317-733-2388 or find us online at Prometheus.com and that's P like Peter, R-O-M like Mary, E-T-H-I-U-S dot com. And now please enjoy my discussion with Chip Knighty. Chip, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tony. Good to be here. Um, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to start out actually by telling a little story that I, I'm sure you probably remember but was probably meaningless to you uh, of um, the, the first time we got to spend a little time together and, and converse, which was, do you remember where that was? That was at a coffee shop somewhere, I think, right? I think it was a Starbucks at 96th Starbucks. and Meridian. Ah, the old Star- Oh, you remember exactly where... Oh, that's right. Which is great for meeting outside. Yes. Yes. That that's right? kind of cramped inside, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, you you and I first met, first got... And I I knew... We had been at a meeting at Jerry's, one of Jerry's Affinitate's lunches before, and I so I knew you were going to be fun to visit with. But uh, about 30 seconds in to that meeting... You, you dropped some reference to to some ancient German philosopher. I can't remember if it was Wilhelm Wundt, Johann was, was Fichte. It, was, it, was it Immanuel Kant? Yeah, okay. Kant was going to be my third. I couldn't yes. remember which one it was. Yeah. But I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh. There's something in my brain said, said, okay, Chip's very, very smart. I need to be on the alert. He's not smart. He just knows something about Kant. And only one thing, the, the, the Kant's categorical or categorical imperative. You knew only one thing. See, I thought, it was, I thought it was kind of bold. I don't know if bold is the right word, but it was very unusual to drop such an obscure, obscure person. And it, you did it kind of like I would know who it was. Your glasses make you look so smart that I just assumed that you would know who Kant was. <laughs> well, as, as luck would have it, I, I do and I did. But I kept thinking to myself, that was so random. Like, what are the chances? Yeah. So the rest of our visit, I kept thinking, uh, what else is Chip going to throw out there? Did I throw anything else out there? I think the rest of it was was not nearly as disturbing as... It was all downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so that's a fun little story to help the listener and viewer get an idea of, um, you know, you're going to get to watch me intellectually squirm for the next... Uh, oh, there'll be no squirming. We're good. Next... We're good. We're good friends. You're so easygoing. <laughs> you, I am You make easygoing. everyone feel comfortable. You're comfortable. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. 
this this will be fun. But where I wanted to start, so I I view you as kind of the, um, you know, you're you're like the leadership. I don't want to use the word guru because that's it's such an overused word. But leadership. Here's where I want to start. At what point did you know that leadership was going to be your thing? What point in your life? Uh, I don't think I'm a guru. I would say I have become a specialist, though. Ah, good distinction. Uh, and have chosen to make my life's work helping leaders grow and building cultures of leadership development. And to directly answer your question, I think it was... Um, so I went to the Naval Academy for my undergraduate education, and I took very seriously the charge of training and developing the midshipmen who were under my purview. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have taken that, in some cases, a little too seriously, but I, I could say I definitely took it more seriously than most of my uh, comrades, my peers at the, at the school. As I look at the arc of my career and life, there's just a trend that I would observe, which is that I... Uh, I find fulfillment in influencing others to become more. Now, there's a dark side to that, which is I resist being influenced myself. So there's all kinds of immaturities. There's some irony in there, isn't there? It's, yes, it's, uh, it's hypocrisy. <laughs> it's rank hypocrisy is what it is. Does that, does that make it more challenging for you to, to uh, uh, try and serve your clients? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, really? I think one of... I think, uh, I wrote about this recently in a blog post. I think, and I, I don't know that I was pointing it at myself, but I meant it at myself as I was writing it, yeah. is that it is possible to be simultaneously selfless and arrogant, which is having intentions to help other people while believing that you've got the only answer, right? And yeah. so that seems to be a trend in my own life is that I have a fair degree of selflessness. I don't think we're, any of us are 100% selfless any of the time. You know, we have mixed motives. Sure. Um, but I can certainly point to plenty of arrogance that impedes my ability to be as effective a coach, counselor, mentor, guide, advisor as I would like to be. Yeah. Which is all part of my own growth journey and trying to become better. Do you admit that to your... Do you f- share that freely with your I do. With your clients? I do. Uh, maybe not on the first date, but uh, pretty soon <laughs> in, uh, if we're going to get married, I think they need to know what they're getting into. And uh, a lot of my approach is to give, to share with clients and friends and family, whether it's solicit or not, hard truths that are hard for them to hear. Now, even the word hard truths implies that I've got a monopoly on it. So I'll just say... Uh, sharing my perspective that may be hard for other people to hear or my opinion that may be hard for other people to hear. And I like to say that, you know, I've got, I've got a little T-truth, you've got a little T-truth, everybody's got a little T-truth, but that doesn't make it the capital T-truth. Mm. But if we can lump a bunch of those together, we're going to get a lot closer to the capital T-truth. Mm. So it, it, uh, <clears throat> it's, yeah, it sounds like you can't get exact with with what you're doing, you're trying you're trying to get as close to the to the target as you can. Oh, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's maybe what I should say, Chip, is perfection is impossible. Totally, uh, yes. Yeah. And I think it's important to have an ideal to uh, towards which we're striving, but we got to recognize that this is a lifelong and perhaps after lifelong journey where we're never going to hit that perfect ideal. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep striving towards it. Yeah. And if you don't have that kind of north star, I don't know how you orient, except kind of drifting towards what seems sort of right to you in the moment and. And I've spent major chunks of my life drifting down the stream without my paddle in the water and just kind of seeing where it goes. But 
I feel like I'm in a season now where I need to be more intentional about this is where I'm heading and this is this is what this is about and this is this is the meaning of me on earth and this is what I want to I want to fulfill my uh, my calling and I yeah. want to finish well. You know, your uh, what you just described is is very uh, is similar to kind of the way I've been thinking lately, and I think it's a function of. I have this feeling you and I are about the same age. I'm 48. 47. 47. Yeah. Okay. We're practically um, twins. Yeah. So we're we're <laughs> so we're on the back nine. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you start you start to think differently. But before we see, I know someone who again someone who brings up Immanuel Kant in mm-hmm. the first 30 seconds of a, of the first visit. I knew we were gonna we were gonna uh, go deep soon but let me refocus just for a second i want to make sure i for want to you, talk Chip. about the back nine we got to get back to the back nine <laughs> okay because that, that's so loaded for I'll me i'll make it and oh it's, okay. it's heavy yeah i just want to make sure we get sort of on the record chip so um chip Knighty is the founder of kairos and that's k-a-i-r-o-s yes, the sir. website is kairosconsulting.com the phone number is 317-908-0136 my cell phone is it it is. I, that, somehow that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, help us get an understanding, Chip, of, you know, what are the types of problems that you and your and your team at Kairos are helping to, to address? Yeah. Uh, I love the question, and it actually is a great segue about the back nine because it's related. So I'm going to get to tie that in anyway. Uh, I believe that... Uh, humans, at least hopefully most humans, are on a journey of maturation throughout their lives. You, me, everybody else. And hopefully we don't stop growing until the very day we get put in the earth. Yep. Or cremated, which is my preference personally. Mm. Um, I think we grow asymmetrically, which is to say in some areas of our life we act like 47 and 48-year-olds. In some areas, hopefully, we act like 50 or 67 or 68-year-olds. You know, we're more wise, sedate, mature in the way that we approach problems. People might come to us for advice because we got some things figured out. And in other areas of our lives, we act like 12-year-olds. And it's not in the places where we're acting 67 or 68 that we're self-sabotaging. Mm. It's in those areas where we have that stunted growth. And it's understandable why we might have stunted growth. It's even we could have compassion for each other in our areas of stunted growth because of, you know, woundedness or trauma or experiences we've had in our life. But those places where our growth is stunted typically don't work for the people that are most important to us, our loved ones, our colleagues, our friends. And I find throughout corporate America and in nonprofits and in churches and in Kiwanis groups, there's plenty of behavioral feedback But what I need in the areas of my stunted growth is not somebody to tell me, hey, just do this behavior and you'll be fine, because there's a compulsiveness to my behavior. Hmm. And what I need is healing and maturation in those areas where my growth has been stunted. And so the problem that Kairos helps organizations solve is we help build communities of leadership development. Another way to say that would be we help build healing communities where leaders can grow in those areas on the, in those areas where it's most important for them to grow. Interesting. I'm going to segue just to a word, mm-hmm. and I get the sense, Chip, that you like words. Mm-hmm. That's just a sense I have. I do. Which is interesting given your background. I look at your background, electrical engineering, Naval Academy, 
uh, MBA in finance, correct? And yeah, and and IS. Yes, and IS, right? <laughs> right. So where is this love of language anyway? But I'm going to start with a word. You need words to study electrical engineering. <laughs> yes, but is character one of those words? That's the word I wanted to get to. Oh, character. Yeah. Character. Um, what's your? Do you have a definition for character? What do you mean by character? I see you mm. write about it a lot and speak about mm. it a lot. Mm. Definitions are important, aren't they? What is character? Uh, it is. Habits, healthy habits of personality, perhaps? I just made that up. I don't know mm. how accurate that is. Um, it is uh, the part of ourselves that gets revealed in our behavior when no one else is looking, perhaps. Ah. It's the core of who we are and our values. So that's a very sloppy, loose constellation of definitions that I'm throwing out there. Uh, I've never been asked that question before. I never even thought about it before. So off the top of my head, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how accurate I am, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking of uh, what I think I've seen John Wooden say about character, and it's something like, he, he juxtaposes it with reputation, another big word. Mm -hmm. uh, reputation is, is how other people perceive you. Character is who you really are. Mm. Um, how important is character in, in leadership? Uh, perhaps it's everything. Mm. I think what's on the inside of us will will always find a way out. Maybe not directly. It may slip out sideways, but it's always going to find a way out. And um, I just I think there are so few leaders who are getting in their own way because they don't know how to give a performance review or they don't know how to um, run a staff meeting effectively. I mean, they're getting in their own way, but not in catastrophic ways. But the way the places where relationships and trust and organizational health break down are almost invariably issues of character, especially when you get to the most senior leaders of, or senior levels of leadership. CEOs typically are not messing up because they don't know how to give a one-on-one -on -one feedback conversation. They're messing up because of some aspect of their of their personality where their character has not matured to the place that it needs to. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a total limb here, and uh, say something that is is just a hunch on my part. I have no idea how true or accurate this might be. But uh, there must be something about CEOs, and I'll lump in um, other other people that uh, I think my friend uh, Doug Lyle would, would call it uh, uh, dominance hierarchies. A CEO is climbing the sort of a corporate dominance hierarchy. A politician would be another example of someone who's climbing a, do a dominance hierarchy. But uh, but my point my point is, and what I'm thinking is, there there might be something inherently uh, different in a person who decides I'm going to climb to the top. I'm assuming you need something more than just. Um, just talent you know you have to have this drive but i'm guessing maybe maybe i'm way off that there's something that uh uh for a person to do that there might also be a uh a lack or a or or something a little off kilter in this makeup <laughs> that the rest of us makes the rest of us happy you know and maybe character maybe there's you know maybe i have no idea but uh, so What's popping for me in my mind is this idea of what is success. Yeah. 
So there's a very American capitalistic definition of success where we can look at the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and just say, unhesitatingly, that person has become a success. Even if they fail as a CEO, or just even getting to that level, they are a success. And I don't define success that way. Uh, let me rephrase that. On many days, my natural inclination is to define success that way. On my better days, I think I have some uh, superior definitions of success that can be more helpful. So I want to go back to your back nine comment because I'm oh, going yeah. to loop it all back in here. Is uh, Father Richard Rohr is a Catholic priest and author, R-O-H-R, uh, who says that in the first half of our life, we cultivate the virtues in ourselves that build resume. Mm. And in the second half of life, we cultivate the virtues in ourselves that build eulogy. So when we think about the back nine, there's a really interesting transition that happens to men and women of a certain age, where we've got one foot in the resume camp and one foot in the eulogy camp. But we start to realize that all that stuff that got us here is not going to be adequate for the rest of the journey, and we start to even pivot our definition of success. So I wonder how many of those CEOs, when they're in their quiet moments before their, uh, their eyes you know, shut and their head hits, between the head hitting the pillow and their eyes uh, uh, shutting, they think to themselves, hmm, what am I really doing? Right? Is this all there is? Like, yeah. I've, I've arrived, and yet this feels empty. Yes. And kind that kind of could, like, gee, this didn't work. <laughs> right, this right. didn't pan out the right. way I thought it would. Yeah, or you know, how many people on their deathbed say, I just wish I'd just risen one more rung on the corporate ladder. Right. Just one more penny. I guess it was Rockefeller who, near his, the end of his life, someone asked him, how much more money do you need? You've got so much. And he said, oh, just a little bit more. <laughs> so you know, there's an emptiness in some of the stuff that we yeah. used to value so highly, or maybe to some degree still value from the first half of our lives. But as we're transitioning to the second half of life, there's an awful lot of uh, shifting that occurs within us, and, and we become more malleable, more plastic in our personalities and our thinking. We become hungry um, for growth, maybe even a little more humble, as I'm finding myself the need to be more humble in my own life. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm amazed how much I don't know now compared to what I thought I knew five years ago. And it'll be interesting to see five years from now, looking back, how arrogant I perceive myself to be now, right? But as I look back at my future self. Um, so all of that to say, uh, a personality of someone who is pursuing success, I mean, some people are driven to succeed because sure. it, it's a sense of identity for them. Maybe it's their only identity. I mean, I don't know if you've ever met 50, 60 year old men who are let off from their, or let go from their jobs and they just seem like they're wandering. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going because their yeah. identity is so wrapped up in this pursuing quote unquote success. So I think we've got to have better definitions than that, and I think it's a natural process for us that we start hungering for a new definition at some point in the middle of our lives. Absolutely. Uh, keeping on the, uh, the topic of leadership, I, I want to ask, I want to get your opinion on just a little different uh, uh, slant on, on leadership, something I've observed. I feel like in our schools... And I could just as easily say this about something like sales or entrepreneurship, but let's let's use leadership because you're the guy in the seat. I feel like it's it's uh, we're missing opportunities to really teach this, and maybe it's silly of me to even, um, you know, maybe leadership, maybe the school system just isn't 
it's 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 antithetical to to developing leaders. I don't know, but what, mm. what's your feeling on kind of leadership in our education system? Hmm. It's it seems the exact opposite of one what what one might need to develop leadership. Um, I don't know what kind of a dad you are. Uh, my awesome wife and I. One. Yeah, I, I know you're a you're a camping dad. I know that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I I see a lot of helicopter parenting, and my wife and I strive really hard to not be helicopter parents who try to protect our kids from all harm. Uh, it feels to me like there's a lot going on in schools that is not really uh, letting kids fail. There's there are too many guardrails that are in that are unnecessary that aren't letting kids color outside the lines, et cetera. Uh, I think part of the problem is you can't teach what you don't know. And so uh, there are some significantly impressive leaders in education, and there are many who aren't. And I think uh, my middle child, uh, Kale, he's a sophomore at Shortridge High School. And Shane O'Day is the principal there, and Jacob Pactor is the assistant principal there, and they are doing a phenomenal job of creating a culture that let, lets kids explore, lets kids fail, pushes them beyond what they um, think they can do, invites them to lead, gives them feedback on their leadership. They may not call it leadership, but that's what they're doing. So I know it's possible because I see examples of it. And like one indicator of what they're doing at Shortridge, which is so amazing, is last year when my son was a freshman, they have a, a one-week orientation program. A week, I think they call it. I may be making that up. Um, but I asked him at the end of the week, I'm like, how was, how was your first week of school? I mean, he's a freshman in a new high school. Like, what a traumatic shift, right? Like, that, that's not easy. And he goes, it's good. I'm like, oh, it's good. He's like, yeah. I, like, I, feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm part of it. Like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all in this together, and people are very supportive, and yeah, I like where we are. And I was like, holy cow, that's amazing. Like, what leadership, right? So mm. I think you can find people who are doing an amazing bang-up job. It's just not common. Um, and I think also it's it, there's so many restrictions in our public education system on what people can and cannot do. So finding good leaders, putting them in schools, and giving them a more free reign to build leaders would yes. be would be magical. Yeah. Have you ever uh, read John Taylor Gatto? Uh, are you familiar with him at all? No. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Is, uh, you, you must be thinking of Kant. Well, he is actually h- how I learned uh, of Immanuel Kant. And uh, and other philosophers like uh, uh, Espinoza and uh, and uh, I can't remember who else who else I thought you had mentioned, but at any rate, there's a there's a great product that you would actually love. Yeah, it's a DVD. It's it's uh, it's called the Ultimate History Lesson. It's um, Richard Grove is a is a, a documentarian, and he and so John Taylor Gatto is a he was the um, he he was an an award winning school teacher in New York City. He won uh, Teacher of the Year for New York City and New York State multiple times. Nice. Very good. Well, he quit because the system year after year kind of squeezed him out of uh, his ability to teach the way he was he wanted to teach, which was very, very effective. No one ever disputed that. But yeah. the system couldn't have it. Yeah. So it rejected him like a virus. Yes. Yeah. So Gatto... Um, he took the next 10 years or so and made a study, decided to study how did this happen? What, 
what caused this to happen? How can it be that I was getting such good results and, and I'm kind of chewed up and spit out, even though I'm given awards, you know, along the way. And he wrote, he ultimately, he wrote several books. I think his, the best book, you would love it, um, The Underground History of American Education. Mm. Fascinating. Uh, but there's this DVD product is called uh, The Ultimate History Lesson. And, uh, uh, and it features, it's just a big, long interview Richard Grove did with John Taylor Gatto. And it's, it, Kant is in there. Mm. Um, but you're the kind of guy you would you would love. That, that. sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd love to. I'd love to get the, into that. Yeah, what a, what a, uh, what a diversion. Well, bu- uh, bureaucracies. <laughs> in the Chip Nighty interviews. Yeah, yeah, right. But bureaucracies exist to protect themselves. Absolutely, that's what they do. Like, yeah. e- no matter what their constituency or their customer is, bureaucracies exist to protect themselves, and that's what you see in the education system as well. And you got a lot of people working really hard with their hearts all in the right place, and you, you look at the entire system, and clearly something is fundamentally broken. And there are a lot of people trying to reform it. Um, yeah. I don't know what the answer is exactly, but I think I think school choice long term is probably a big part of it. Yeah, for sure. What do you uh, uh, What do you like to read? Do you read a lot? Uh, depends on the season. Depends how busy I am. Ah. Um, the problem is, like when I get up in the morning, I am all like as soon as I wake up, as soon as my eyes are open, I'm just I'm just going. Like my brain just starts churning, yeah. and that's a good chance to get some some stuff done that needs to get done. And then I get to the nighttime, I'm like, oh, this is a great time to read, and I crack a book, and then I just my eyes start drooping. So I got to figure out a better rhythm for when I read. Vacations are a great time for me to plow through some stuff. Uh, my my favorite recent book that I read, which was introduced to me by, by my brother Mike, who is my only brother, my only sibling, uh, is one called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan, I, I'm not sure how his last name is pronounced, H-A-I-D-T. I presume height, because wow. hate just seems like a bad last name to have. <laughs> yes. I, don't, I don't know how he pronounces his name. Uh, he's a professor of moral psychology, and the philosophy, the thesis of this book is that our moral judgments are like a rider on an elephant. And our elephant is our moral intuition, and the rider is our intellect. And what happens is we see something, and our elephant will lean one direction or the other. That is right, that is wrong. And that happens very, very quickly. And then our rider will start making up a story about why the elephant leaned in, the, in, the, in one direction or the other. So we like to think that we have these sophisticated intellectual moral frameworks, but in the end, it's all gut for us. We have these instincts that then we justify through our intellect. Uh, and a lot of the book is about why people talk past each other and why we can't have civil debate. And it's more, I think he wrote it in 2012. And so this is, you know, pre-Trump era. And mm-hmm. everything he talks about has become so much more relevant in terms of the shrill tone of debate and people assuming foul motives just because somebody disagrees with them. So it's helpful to get some different uh, angles on uh, the, the way people look at morality. He's got six different moral frameworks that people consider. And if you look across the political spectrum, uh, people value different aspects of those moral frameworks more than others. And that's, that explains an awful lot of the talking past each other that we see these days. That's one thing I've been reading. Got it. I'm reading To Kill a Mockingbird right now, too. Oh, it's one classic. Of my yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're, you mentioned uh, go, go, go as soon as you wake up. You know, I like to read, but maybe like you, you know, when I, when I wake up first thing in the morning, I, I, can't, I, gotta, I can't choose that for, for uh, self-improvement. I've got I've to get on the hamster wheel. So I sort of played around for a while with getting up earlier and earlier with the idea of doing something 
for myself maybe. Yeah. And what I learned is no matter how early I get up, I'm drawn to get on the hamster wheel. The treadmill? And, yeah, treadmill, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Oh, and, do you mean literally? You don't mean no. physically exercising. You mean do I get, look like I get on a treadmill? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and do you mean you just need to get work done? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. yeah. So I, if I get up at three in the morning, um, you're working. I'm here by four. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I'll figure that out. But I, I'm like you. I if I if I try to read at night, I'm good for about ten minutes, and then I I'm right. just I'm out. Do you um, do you take time for yourself? Like just. Uh, uh, you know, like one word for it would be Sabbath. Like, do you have periods of rest or contemplation or peace or solitude? Is that part of your practice? Uh, well, no, none. I would say none of it is practiced. Um, I have lots of periods of, uh, of uh, maybe you would say reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love to think. I'm a yeah. big thinker. Is that sitting at your desk thinking? It's wherever. Of? Yeah. The th- thing, the thing is, my wherever I am, my brain's there too. So I get to think wherever. That's true. That's true for most people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, but uh, but nothing is uh, scheduled. I have found that I'm one that cannot. Like I can't. Uh, I was talking with someone just the other day who's going to start uh, meditation. Yeah. I've tried that. There's no. I can't. I can't say okay. Four thirty a.m. Every morning, I'm I'm gonna uh, you know it's gonna 15 minutes on a you know in the whatever, whatever it is lotus position well, you, whatever. Well, you said I can't. Is that true? Uh, I think. Well, if history teaches us anything, my history would say yes, that's true. Well, just because you have a history of not doing it, does that constrain you in the future to not doing it? Well. To be to be more specific, I think one would say my, I have a history of attempting, a, attempting to to make certain things ritual. You know what I mean? Mm. So so to, in my mind, that's different from well because I've never. It's not like I've never tried it, right? I understand. You know, I've I, like for example, I've tried eating salad chip. <laughs> Actually, I, I had salad today, so I understand. You know, salads are never as satisfying as a filet mignon, are they? No. No, like in, in butter thing. with a, maybe a blue cheese crumble on top. Yeah. Did, how long have you been in Indy? Are you? Uh, I've I've lived you, back in Indy for sixteen years. Okay. I, I grew up here and then moved. Oh, away you did. And then come back. Yeah. Remember Del Fresco's on no. the. Where was Del no? Fresco's? Oh, it was Steakhouse on the Circle. When yeah. I was in college at uh, IU, that was the, to Del that was the guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of cheaper. I took my wife to Basbo's, you know, in Broad Ripple for our dates and that sort of thing. <laughs> Well, the reason I could eat at Del Fresco's is I didn't have a date. <laughs> so <laughs> it all... That's funny. <laughs> it all evened out. I understand. So, uh, well, so here's... I, I uh, attended a, uh, a workshop, seminar, uh, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, seminar kind of thing. And a guy said, uh, I... He said, meditating, and he, he referred to it as a 20-minute sit. He said, he said, I guarantee you, if you do a 20-minute sit for 90 days, it'll change your life. And so I took him up on it. And I ended up doing it for like 154 days in a row, according to my app, and it was transformational for me. No kidding. Yeah. You uh, see, I feel my brain says that would be transformational for me because at the end I would say, "Look at all this freaking time that I." Would you say freaking? Is that the word that you would use to myself? I'm yeah. Okay. So um, my experience (laughs) is that all humans benefit from stillness and solitude and silence. And it can be harder for certain personality types than others. And um, 
the reason meditation might be hard for me may be very different for the reason that meditation would be hard for you, but meditation's hard for me. Mm. I have an intense little crack cocaine monkey brain that wants to go all over the place and does not want to be still. I've heard that that's one of the things you learn from meditation is... How to still. How Well, you, you learn a sort of how out of control your mind is. Yes, that there, like, there's truth to that. This sucker won't stop. Well, part of what was helpful for me, and, and the, um, the, the individual who taught me this is a man named Joe Stabile, and he said... Um, he said, success in meditation is not that you had a perfect meditation session. Success is you meditated. And so I could give myself permission at the end of 20 minutes to say, you know what? My mind wandered some, and I was able sometimes to pull it back to a place of stillness and sometimes not. And I did it. That's success. Chip, would I be allowed to say success is that I intended to meditate? <laughs> That might be as close. In, in as this season of your life, perhaps that is a yeah, great definition back, of success. Again, back to the back nine. Yeah. Well, what, one of the things that I also found is I'm I'm horrible at rhythm and ritual and routine, and the fact that I did that for 154 days in a row is Very kind of amazing to me. Even yeah. um, I don't know if it's amazing to other people around me, but it's amazing to me that that happened. What I found is if I have a practice that is healthy, I find it's attractive to me. If I feel like I'm trying to create a system or a structure for myself, I rebel against the system or the structure. I love creating systems and structures. I just don't like following them. Does that make sense? I don't want to be controlled by them. Amen to that. And so part of it for me is discerning what is truly healthy versus what is me just doing it out of a sense of obligation. And part of what a big part of what sustained me through that 154 days of continuing to do it was it just felt really healthy. Mm. and uh, got me to some places of stillness where I could hear from God in my case, um, where I could uh, think about things with more clarity than I could think about them, get different insights that I otherwise couldn't get. And that just felt really healthy. It cleared out internal space for me. Um, so that's probably something I should do more of. I mean, sounds like it was working. Well, so was you stop, you just stopped doing it? Uh, nobody's going to tell me to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny no uh, I, I meditate occasionally I don't do it as regularly yeah. as maybe would be healthy I want to make sure to uh, to just kind of get another plug in there um, Chip Knighty is the founder of Kairos um, Kairos Consulting and that's K-A-I-R-O-S consulting.com Chip's cell phone number is 317-908-0136 uh, Chip, I know this won't be the last time. This has been so much fun, and it's flown by. Yeah, um, enjoyed it. Thank you for hosting the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on. We will do it again soon, I'm sure. I look forward to it. Maybe we have more structured rules for what kind of conversation we need to have. <laughs> I don't. You, you and I would break the rules. I don't. I'm not <laughs> sure we could pull that off. Guaranteed. Okay, we'll see you next time. All right, thanks, Tony. Be well.